Welcome to USA Football's Coach and Coordinator Podcast, where top football coaches from around the country share their stories, philosophies, concepts, and strategies to help you get better on and off the field. Now, here's your host, Keith Grabowski. Hey, coaches, before we get going today, I just wanted to thank you for all you've been doing to support this podcast. And we have an incredible lineup coming up here. We have just about every major college conference represented. We have a ton of FBS coaches, Division II coaches, Division Three coaches, some great high school fo- football coaches coming on the podcast to share with you and help you grow professionally during this time. I really appreciate all of you asking your questions on Twitter. Please follow me at Coach K Grabowski for our daily updates on our guests and your opportunity to ask questions. We will read them on the show and attribute those to you. Um, so please contribute to the show as much as you can. I also want to talk to you a little bit about our football development model, which is something we've rolled out here at USA Football. And this is really for you to uh, be able to help your youth football programs develop. It's about a long-term athlete development plan. It's something that comes off of the American development model, which is something that the USOC has put together. The idea is that we're able to teach skills in a progression starting at the youngest ages. We're also looking at the different game types we have, whether that's flag, which is non-contact, limited contact games like padded flag or tackle bar, and full contact, and the right progressions for contact teaching there as well. Be sure to check out all we do at footballdevelopment.com and check out what we're doing with the FDM, the football development model, at usafootball.com backslash fdm.usafootball.com. Today's podcast is an exciting one for me throughout your career. I think you have some people who have an effect on the way you do things. You learn things from them. Sometimes those people come from the opposite side of the field, and that's absolutely true with today's guest for a number of years. He was on the other sidelines across from me uh, one time a year, and uh, but would be a great guy off the field, a great guy to learn from. And you know, just to watch the way he would do things, I think there was a lot to learn from Mike Hallett, who is the co-offensive coordinator and offensive line coach at the University of Toledo. So, Coach Hallett, I uh, appreciate you taking some time to join us here on the podcast. Oh, it's awesome to be with you, Keith. I'm really excited about uh, sharing some time with you and and the guys that are going to tune into this, and hopefully we can all get a little better today. Absolutely. So, Coach, I got to tell you, like, you know, when I talk to you, sometimes I'm always nervous because there's there was always that side of like, what is Hallett up to right now? And funny story, like, (laughs) well, well, Mike, number one, I mean, you won't see a guy work as hard as recruiting as him. and, And it was something that I really picked up on and would watch how he would work these these uh camps. We'd go to all these satellite camps and we'd see him everywhere. And this guy's like the Pied Piper. As soon as that camp ended, I mean, he had hundreds of kids around him and he's like filling out their forms, handing them stuff. And like, they would just kill it in recruiting. And, and, uh, but you know, the, the other part of it was, um, you know, Mike seemed to have an effect on how we would do things at times at, at BW because he wasn't, he would never hesitate to call and, and let our head coach know that, uh, he was ahead on recruiting or they were doing something like this way or that way. And, you know, for me, it was always leave, leave shaking my head like, man, this guy's just, he's making life tough for me over here. Mike, I could tell you there's, you know, there are times when, uh, 
wasn't saying nice things about you, but it was, you know, you look at the OAC and all that, the coaching staff. So I think there was a camaraderie, even though every single Saturday we we wanted to beat each other's butts. But it, it was a lot of fun coaching in the OAC, a lot of fun coaching against you. Well, I, I think there was a great camaraderie in the OAC because there were so many guys that had had such a, a history together. When you look at the times that we were there, you know, Coach Snell had been in the league for a long time as a head coach, and prior to that as an assistant, Larry Terris, of course, was a legend at Mount Union, and there was a number of, of coaches that had played for him that were coaches in the OAC. Dean Paul and I were teammates, and, you know, and, and Dean and I worked together, and Thomas Moore, he was my boss, and, you know, and you just, you kind of run through it, and I think everybody looked at it as, we're going to compete our faces off 365 days a year. That's really going to play out one day a year when you face these guys, but we're all recruiting the same guys. We're all trying to find our niche in terms of how how are you going to differentiate yourself? How can you make a connection with a kid that maybe somebody else hasn't? And can you build relationships with people that are really going to make an effect on on them as people more than just as players? And I think that was that was our message. It was trying to develop the whole man. And really, our our mantra was help guys reach their full potential. I know that's that's a term that's used quite a bit, but I, you know I learned that when I worked for Dean and Thomas Moore first got my start uh, in college coaching and, and really tried to carry that with us throughout the, the rest of my career, whether it was Thomas Moore or Heidelberg or now at Toledo. And, you know, we're fortunate Toledo surrounded by a bunch of guys that are, that are really making an effect on kids and, you know, a great staff that has great impact on kids can lead to, to great results. Yeah. And, and I had mentioned like the, the calls you would make to our head coach. I could tell you, Mike, there's, there's a, a number of Saturdays that weren't on a recruiting schedule that uh, were taken away from me because you know you 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 weren't you weren't afraid to say hey you know we got this many guys and then of course John would be like oh geez we got to have another recruiting day <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I love John Snell it was so much fun just sharing time with him and you know John and I knew each other before I got to Heidelberg but we really developed a great great friendship and a great admiration for each other I think as as you know we had that time to to share with each other and you know sometimes I might have been a little bit a little bit overshooting some of the numbers because it was kind of fun to listen to John get up uptight about it. You know, I knew where we were at. I, you know, I always felt like we were going to be in good shape, but I also knew Paul Wallace was always going to get great players. Their location, their facilities, and that coaching staff was going to do a great job. Uh, there was no question about it. So trying to find some advantages and play a little bit of the Lou Holtz mind game on some guys, that was that was fun for me. Probably not, and probably at your expense, but Still pretty oh cool. yeah, it was my expense, and then like Glenn at at you know at uh, Ohio Northern and, and and those guys like heard about it through the grapevine, and then they started you know because they had a relationship with John too. So Glenn had coached there before. They they'd start doing that, and so now we get it at multiple angles, Mike. It was, uh, but I mean you know it's one of those things. You're right. 365 days a year we're competing. I mean, and and it's crazy. Like it, wherever we'd go, whether it was at AFCA or. You know, everybody's down in Florida at the recruiting fairs. It turns into like an impromptu OAC coaches coaches meeting. Like, you know, we'd all end up at the same place and, you know, punch, punch out on the clock and, and enjoy some time together and, and talk ball. We definitely had some fellowship when we were out on the road doing some of those things. And, and the, the OAC was, was unique in that the limitations you had on off-campus recruiting, you had to take advantage of everything you could do, especially early on when we got to Heidelberg, because you couldn't go into schools and you, you still can't do home visits. So those recruiting fairs and all that stuff, that was a, a prime prime time to get out and, 
get a chance to get your brand out to some places that maybe didn't know you as well. And, you know, when we got to Heidelberg, things things were tough, and we had a long way to go to get to be competitive. So the only way, I'm not smart enough to outthink anybody. I just figured if we outworked them, we'd get a chance. And, and luckily, we were able to convince a lot of really good players to come be part of something there. And that's the same kind of things we're trying to do at Toledo. Yeah, I, I could tell you that's the, the one thing I really respected about you and, and your coaching staff is that you guys worked your tails off and, and you did it the right way. I mean, you know, as competitive as it was in the OAC, I mean, there, there might have been some some new guys would come in and maybe talk trash or, or something like that. But, you know, there there still was that respect of everybody throughout where, you know, nobody was bashing anybody else's program or bad talking anybody. And, you know, and again, maybe maybe some of the new guys who might pop in here or there, but they get straightened out really quick. I think that, you know, we tried to educate recruits that, like, our philosophy was always we have so much good stuff to talk to you about that there's no reason to talk about anybody else. Like, good, bad, or indifferent, I, I'm not I, – my time with you is not going to be spent on someone else's program. It's, I'm going to use every minute of this visit, every minute of this phone call to, to really lay out what the benefits of our program are for you. And, and then you would count on kids and parents to make the right decision for them and – you know, I, I, I joked all the time that, you know, on average, we got about 23% of the kids that we recruited. So I, I got used to being told no 77% of the time. You grow thick skin and you just, you learn to recruit the ones that you got a chance at. And if kids have moved on, then you, you cut bait and you find the next guy. And, you know, we were able to find good players and still keep it in an ethical manner in terms of how you handle it and how you handle the, the other teams that you're competing against. I think the, the, the interesting thing about OAC recruiting is, you know, we all had big rosters. We all brought in big classes. But at the same time, you know, and I was the same way as you. I mean, I got, you know, almost 100 guys, just me, to campus every year and brought in about 30 of those guys. And, you know, early on it starts with a ton of, you know, cold calls and phone calls and guys you saw in the summer who maybe weren't quite ready to talk to you yet, et cetera. But, you know, even with all those kids, it's still about relationships. It's not, you know, and I know other, other conferences try to sell kids on, oh, they're just recruiting numbers. But, you know, you, you bring those guys in and know that you're going to be something in our program and you're going to be something in, in our school. And, you know, there would be those guys that drop out. But I think a lot of them would just stay at the schools, right? Not leave those schools or try to transfer to somebody, someone else in the conference. Like if, you know, we'd have those kids who – would do it for maybe a year or two and then say, ah, you know, there's other things I want to do with college, but I want to stay close to it and find a way to stay with the program as, you know, a student assistant, equipment manager, whatever it might be. Or you just see them around campus and they're really friendly with you because you had developed those relationships. No question. I think there's a, a lot of truth, and a lot of value to that. You know, as we, as I studied rosters of the, when we first got to Heidelberg, I studied the rosters of the playoff teams. And what, what kind of stood out to me was, you know, you're going to recruit what you're going to recruit your freshman year, but the, the key to, to really getting your program where you wanted it was the, the benchmark to me was having at least 35 sophomores because your attrition rate in Division three was going to be the biggest from freshman to sophomore year. So you'd have to recruit enough guys to me to have at least 35 sophomores, and that 35 sophomore level would then end up to be 20 to 25 seniors with the rest of the attrition. And so in using that philosophy, we, we tried to build that 
build it from the bottom up and really stock your roster with good players that we're going to have an opportunity to play for you. In our best years, you know, when we got on a, on a good run at, at Heidelberg and, and, you know, we're nationally ranked and got in the playoffs and all that stuff, our rosters were typically 40 to 43 sophomores. And that, that was a mark of really pretty good retention, really good recruiting in terms of the evaluation of players and who's going to develop. And then having, having a way for those guys to develop physically and mentally to become the players that you wanted them to be. So that was kind of our formula for making that a successful venture so that you could build a roster from the bottom and maintain having that quality player that, you know, we had a lot of freshmen play for us early when I got there. and That number became less and less unless they were really special because the roster just had so much more depth to it. You know, when you took that over, I mean, compared to – some of the conference, you you guys didn't necessarily, you had to build it on relationships because you didn't have, you know, at the time you were playing at a, a community stadium, so you didn't really have your own stadium. You, you guys redid the locker rooms. I mean, you made a lot out of nothing, and you see where it is now, but you think back to those early days, and you you said it to me on, on the field before a game. You're like, this is like a county fair, right? I mean, mismatched stands, people held back by ropes, like – it was, but I'll tell you, it was a really, really fun atmosphere to play in, and we had some great games there. But you know, I think just a testament to how you guys built it—that it was not flashy facilities or locker rooms or you know all that stuff. You got there eventually, and, and the program's there now, you know, because of what you guys did. But you know, early on, it was all relationships. That's that was we knew what we had, and we knew what we didn't have, and. You know, there were going to be plenty of kids that the locker room was going to matter, the weight room was going to matter, the stadium was going to matter. And we were going to fight those fights, but we were going to lose more than we won. But for the parents and the kids that, that saw that we had a, a very specific plan for their for their ad, advancement academically, athletically, socially, you know, those kids were the ones that bought into it. And, and they heard a message of, of belief and hope rather than, you know, wishes and dreams. And, you know, we, we would always say, you know, you got to have some faith here. Faith to me is belief without evidence. Yeah, we didn't have all that stuff, but we knew that if we got successful, we had an unbelievable alumni base that would that would help us, and they certainly did. And you know, got it, got got that place to a to a level that I think is on par with everybody else in the conference. And and the college has continued to grow and, and invest in in their facilities and their physical plant. And I think the experience for those kids. It was a great experience early on, but it only got better as, as the campus continued to grow and improve. And, you know, I think it's, it's in, in, in a really good, really good position right now for it to continue to grow. And I think that's, you know, the Division One arms race that you see, Ohio State, Michigan, and in our conference with us and other schools, I think that's true across the country. And everybody's looking for the next, the next big thing that's going to make a difference in terms of recruiting and re- retaining great players and great kids. Absolutely. Well, we kind of handled the OAC days there for you as a coach. I always like to, to, and I don't know much about yours before Thomas Moore. And, you know, as, as I heard you coming over to the OAC, I know you played at Mount and had a great career there. But uh, for our listeners, I guess if, if you could kind of fill us in on, you know, the, the start of Mike Hallett, at least the, the inspiration to be a coach and how you progressed from there. I was fortunate out of high school. I played one year of high school football. I played as a senior and ended up with a very, very late scholarship offer to Kent State and played for Glenn Mason and his staff at Kent for two years. And I had a great time playing football and I had a great time socially. 
I was not what you would consider a stellar student, and I did not really handle that transition to college very well. I was basically a coach's nightmare, and I'm surprised somebody didn't take a wiffle ball bat to my head. <laughs> so with a coaching change that happened at Kent, I, I went back home and I coached high school ball for two years and fell in love with coaching. And it kind of created my purpose that as I got a chance to, to work with kids and, and have an effect on kids that grew up in my same town, I saw what coaching can really do for kids and it motivated me to go back to school. And, and I wanted to, I still had eligibility at three years left. I wanted to play and I had some, some people around me. You know, the, the head coach at, at Oroville High School, Bill McMillan, and the head basketball coach, Steve Smith, and uh, the offense coordinator, Dave Botica, they, they all grabbed me and said, man, you're really good at coaching. I know you're young, but you could, you could do this and be really good at it. It really motivated me to, to pursue an education degree and to, to have an, an opportunity to impact people. So I went to Mount because I could use all three of my years of my eligibility, and they had recruited me in high school. And Don Montgomery was a, a huge influence. The defensive coordinator recruited me in high school, and so I reached out to him and, and went back and had a great time playing with some great people and playing for great coaches. And, and I saw the, the coaching in Division One kind of felt a little bit more like a business when I was at Kent. And in Division Three, it was a lot more like family. And that really stuck with me, that those relationships were, were really important. And that was part of the big success. Uh, the reason for the success at Mount Union was those relationships that the coaches built with their players and the relationship the players had. So... After, after that, I had an opportunity to, to finish my degree and get a teaching degree, and so I started off at Akron Coventry as a, as a position coach and then the defensive coordinator and teaching high school history and, uh, and had a great time, and it was awesome. We had really good players, and really good players make you look like a really smart coach. I learned that at an early age and then had the opportunity to go to Worcester High School as the, as the head coach there at 28 playing in a really tough federal league against the, you know, the Canton Stark County schools. And that was, that was not having the better players. We had probably players that were really good, but not, not the depth that, you know, some of these other schools had. And we learned a lot of lessons that way. And then Dean Paul, who'd been at the college of Worcester, he and I connected. Dean went to Fordham and then went down to Thomas Moore and hired me to coach the offensive line and be the offensive coordinator. And we got to work together for five years and then, Dean took the Ohio Northern job, and I got the chance to be the head coach at Thomas Moore for three years, and then went to Heidelberg, and then from Heidelberg to Toledo. And I've been really fortunate on every stop to to be surrounded by great players. You know, Dean Paul taught me a ton at Thomas Moore, and you know the guys that worked with us, Brian Moore and Corey Filipovich and Scott Donaldson, now the head coach at uh, at Heidelberg, and Brandon Jacobson and Jason Lewis, great guys to to have a great relationship with and coach, and and I'm surrounded by great Great people now. Jason Candle does a great job of mentoring young men and, and growing coaches. And, you know, he's young and sharp, and he's a really brilliant coach and really, really good recruiter. And there's daily I'm learning new things uh, at my age. And I think when you, when you continue to grow, you continue to improve. And without that growth, improvement kind of stops. And so the challenge for us as coaches and our players is to continue to grow because that growth will spur greatness. Yeah, Coach, I've had a, a number of the Mount Union guys on, and there's there's just a ton of similarity. I mean, you could tell, you know, the influence of uh, Larry Karras or Don Montgomery and, you know, all the guys who were, were part of your lives as you were growing up, both as a, a player and then as a coach, that there's a ton of influence from Mount Union in the way things are done. And, you know, you, we could probably 
take and and listen to you know Coach Candle on here or you know some of the other Mount guys Sirianni or Brian Flynn or, you know a number of Mount guys talk on here and it's it, so many similarities between the approach uh, with people with professional development and you know we see that you guys are starting to be kind of all over college football now all levels and you know that it's been that way for a while but now everybody's kind of climbing those ranks right you you got uh you know matt campbell out there doing a great job jason candle like just to hear you guys talk is just good philosophy good coaching good football well i know that every guy that's come out of that program and and certainly you know you go from from <laughs> starting there's been three head coaches there were three head coaches from like 1964 to to this year and that's ken way uh yeah ken coach wavel Ken Wabel, who was the head coach there for 25 years, and then Larry Karras, who had an unbelievable, one of the greatest runs in college football history, and then Vince followed that up, his son, with with an unbelievable nine-year run, and, you know, we're fortunate to have Vince with us now. He's doing great things with our program and our kids, and I think they really like him, and, you know, I, I don't think it's by accident that we have so many Mount Union graduates that are on the Toledo staff. You look at, at you know, myself and Coach Candle and Ross Watson and uh, Vince Karras and Ricky Ciccone, who runs our recruiting. Tim Kennedy is one of our GAs, played wide receiver there. Christian Clinic, who played DB, who's our assistant strength coach. There's certainly evidence of, of how you run a program, how you build relationships. And I, I don't think it's by accident that Jason has, has surrounded himself with a bunch of guys that have a very similar philosophy, certainly. Coach, I think the other thing – you did really well was was build an offensive line and you know at the at the division three level you know sometimes you get those guys who look the part and sometimes that you you got the guys who are 5'10 245 pounds but can play their butts off and I've seen you coach all those types of guys up probably on the on the smaller side more often than not and you know it's I think a testament to just what you do as a coach beyond the relationship side that you're able to you know, teach these guys to be very technical. You guys had, you know, really good lines there that I think enabled you guys to to have a powerful offense. So as far as your philosophy and the things you, you really lay the foundation on for offensive line, what what are the things you build upon? Well, you know, when we were when we were at Heidelberg, it was it was pretty clear to us that if a kid was six five, six six and we were recruiting him, he probably was not the caliber of skill level that we were looking for because those guys with that skill level were typically going to get scholarship offers somewhere. So we took the philosophy that I want to find the guys that are Division One caliber players that are two inches too short. So our tackles might be six three. We had set tackles at Heidelberg that were six foot or six one, but they could move. They were athletic. The athleticism, I think, was really at a premium, and, and I think that's carried over with me here. Now we have the opportunity to to recruit more of that size. But, you know, to me, offensive line play really starts from the ground up. It starts with teaching and, and really getting guys to comprehend how important their stance is, how important the, the initial movement of how to, how to work off the opposite foot to start their movement. If I'm stepping to my right, I'm not stepping right. I'm driving off my left. And using your opposite foot to generate power into the ground is what's, you know, in our in our world right now that's really the way it goes because we want guys that have a natural bend we want guys that that are able to get their backs flat into a block they're able to play off both feet they've got some aggression they've got some violence 
but it's controlled violence in a, in a way that's going to allow them to be productive. You know, those are the things that we look at. And I think, you know, as we continue to do this, we've been very fortunate here at Toledo to recruit guys that really fit the mold of what we're looking for, that not every guy is going to be a 300-pound guy, and we're not interested in that. We're interested in guys that are athletic. If you're 250 and athletic, our strength coaches, Brad Boucher, will do an unbelievable job to get you to 285. If you're a 280-pound guard, chances are you're going to be a 305 guard that can move and can pull and can get to the second level on zone blocking and get around the horn on a, on a pin and pull sweep play. That's the stuff that I think really puts, puts guys at a premium, and those are the things that we're looking for here. Mike, as far as bringing that unit together, right, you, you know, it's, offensive line is different than really any other position group. I mean, what those guys do working, in, you know, right next to each other in concert with each other is so important. How do you start to build that chemistry? And, you know, especially within the framework, I know you, you guys would play a, a number of guys as well, so I'm, I'm not sure how that sorts out. You know, typically guys will have uh, somewhere from six to eight guys that they get into a game, but – Talk to us about how you build that chemistry within your unit. Well, I think, you know, <laughs> I joke with the guys all the time, and this is an old uh, Jim McNally and Bob Wiley line, that the old lines are the mushrooms. You know, you, you, put us, you put us in the dark, you feed us crap, you expect us to flourish. And we all kind of understand that, and that's okay. Coaching the offensive line is the greatest position on a, on a coaching staff to have because those guys, if there's that one thing that they hate to do, they hate to run extra. So they're going to be on time. They're going to work really hard. They're going to be accountable because going out and, and doing any extras because they didn't handle the responsibilities, that's, that, you know, that's a mortal sin to an offensive lineman. Why would I run extra? I, all i got to do is get my work done on time. All i got to do is be on time. So I think inherently that group of guys, by and large, they're very, very accountable to themselves, to each other. You know, we, we at uh, Toledo, we're, we're the offensive guardians, the OGs. There's, that's, that goes back at least 10 years and probably longer where, you know, there's an identity, there's a brand that goes behind that, and there's a lot of pride in that. You know, you see guys like that are coming out of our program now dating back 10, 12, 13 years ago, and they'll be – we have our building pictures of guys that are in the NFL, and John Greco just retired. His picture was up there, and right on his right bicep, he had a, an OG tattoo that you could see every day. That's not just – that's not just something our guys say. It's something they really believe in, and it's it's you know historical, dating back to at least Matt Campbell was the O line coach, and maybe maybe even further. I don't know, but I just know that it's something our guys they they have an identity, they have a brand, and they have they've got a standard to live up to, and and we don't ever change the standard. You know, the expectation is we're going to lead from the front. We're going to be the guys you can count on the most, and you know we. Jim Bolton, when he was at Ohio State, talked about his time at Virginia where he was forced to play eight linemen. And he didn't know how that was going to work, but what he found was a lot, a lot of their big play cutups happened when there was one or two or three backups in there because those 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 guys are in the rotation. They may not get 60 plays, but they may get 16 or 20, and they're going going like crazy to to really make an impact on those plays. And what he said was it, it really made a big difference in how the twos practiced during the week because they were fighting to be part of that rotation. And I think. You know, I heard that a number of years ago, and so we carried that out when we went to Heidelberg. And, and certainly the same thing here is we, we want to develop depth. We want to get guys playing. We've, at Toledo, we've had games where we've played as many as 12 guys. So the game's going well, and we've got young players that are fighting at the, chomping at the bit to get on the field. And we're, if you earn that right, we're going to get you on the field. The guys will, deter, will determine their playing time, not me. And they'll, 
they'll do that by earning trust and earning their teammates' respect through their practice reps. As far as your favorite scheme, I know on in week or in game ten in in, in two thousand thirteen that that play was pin and pull. But for you, <laughs> oh my god, nightmares! Come oh, on, man, man. That was, we liked that play. That was a good one. <laughs> uh, it was a great one that day. I mean, to an NCAA record. But um, you know, what is it for you today? What do you what do you like to start with as far as the the scheme that you guys are gonna build your foundation on for your offense? Well, I think if you, if you look at what we're doing and kind of how we we break down what our offense looks like in the run game, you know, we are I would say first and foremost a zone team. You know, the first play that we're always going to teach is inside zone because that's kind of the building block of a lot of things that we're doing off the run action. You know, the run action pass, a lot of things that we're doing off the, the RPO type of stuff. So, you know, our inside zone play is always going to be step one. And then we build off that by getting into some outside zone. We're, we're investing more in stretch than we probably ever have here the last two years. And we're seeing the results of that really pick up. And then the, the next progression for us that, that is really viable is our mid-zone play, which at times will look like a mid-zone. At times it might look a little bit like a pin and pull. We've got some some unique intricacies to that play that allow us to get some edges and, and get uh, get some guys around the second-level players without necessarily having the zone through it. So we'll, we'll carry those because different different defensive alignments would, would predicate certain things for us, and other defensive alignments, we may we may look at some, some other options. Uh, but those three things are really, really the, the building block of where we start. And then to build off of that, we get into some of our gap scheme stuff, whether it's a, a power or a counter, to, uh, you know, to build off of that, the counter has been uh, a really good play for us to counter back against some of the formations that would indicate that we're running a stretch play or a, a, a mid-zone play. Uh, people will have a tendency to want to over overplay those with linebacker alignment, so counter's given us some options to, to bring the ball back the other way and, and get some people out of alignment, set up some really good angles for some, some double teams. Um, you know, and that, that's that would be the basis of what we do. Now we've got a lot of, a lot of stuff that we can build off of that, you know, with some, some kind of zone ISO plays and, and things like that. But, you know, if, if you said, tell me, tell me five plays, you know, you're going to have ready for every game. I would say inside mid and outside zone power encounter going to be, you know, the building blocks of, of our game plan every week. And then it's just a matter of the, you know, in Larry Karras terms, players, formations, plays, you know, first you identify who your guys are, you know, you have the players that fit that. And then once you identify the, the players that are going to give you an opportunity, then it gets to formation. Say if we, if we attach a tight end, we're going to get this. If the tight end's off the ball, it's more likely to be this. So our formations can help us dictate some of the fronts and some of the alignments that we'll get. And then after you, you get to that point, then it's about plays. Like, hey, this mid-zone play is really good. When the, when the F is off the ball, it's maybe not quite the same play when the tight end is attached because their defensive alignment changes a little bit. You know, a lot of those things are going to be where we go with how we design a game plan and you know, where our focus is and where our practice reps are going to go. Yeah, players' formation plays, that's definitely something you hear from all the Mountain Union guys. I saw Coach Karras give that uh, presentation at Ball State University. I forget the year, maybe – somewhere mid 2000s I think and you know I, an incredible way I think to think about offense that way if you can organize it that way I think it's you're going to have some success I think I think you know I was a part of the 1992 team and we lost to Wisconsin lacrosse in the in the final four and 
Coach Karras went back and studied that film. And statistically, we won the game. We won the game everywhere but the scoreboard. And Coach Karras was, was going back through and reviewing the film. And we had a white out quarterback and all these really good wide receivers. And, you know, we get down into the red zone. And we'd be down inside the 10-yard line. And out would come, you know, two or three of the wide receivers. And in would go a fullback and another tight end. And, you know, we're in big personnel. And there's nothing wrong with that. Those guys were good players. But it, it probably didn't fit us the best. You know, like, use, use those good wide receivers. Ed Bubonics is an All-American. He's an unbelievable player, and now we're limiting his opportunities. And so, you know, Coach Harris, being, being the guy that he is, and it's, it's incredibly smart, he, re, he really reflected on how do I make this better? Why is this my fault? He's like, well, stop taking your good players off the field, and let's, let's use our players and then figure out what formations and what plays will get there. And that, that really became the advent of uh, the crossing routes, the double cross, and you know, a lot of routes that are legendary at Mount Union that, that really started after that 92 season. And our first game in 93, I think we ran full right double cross against Adrian about 63 times and kept throwing Ed Bubonics the ball every chance we got. <laughs> Excuse me, we were off and running. And it was, uh, you know, it was a prolific offensive year and our defense was pretty good. So we had an opportunity to have a good team. Uh, well, Coach, you guys, you've done an incredible amount of things and, uh, you know, you, you're still continuing to grow in your career for, for those young coaches out there, you know, looking to continue on, to advance in the profession, to, to grow like you've grown. What advice do you have for them? Well, I think, you know, at least for me, when I got into college coaching, I worked every camp I could get to. Rules are a little different now for, for high school coaches, but those college coaches – Get out, get seen, be active, don't stand around at a camp, work the camps. You know, I worked Ohio State camps for years and had an opportunity to learn so much from Jim Bowman and John Peterson and Mark Staten and, you know, all the guys that were part of Coach Trussell's staff down there. Um, we had an opportunity. We, we would chase Toledo all over the place when they did satellites, and my whole staff would work every Toledo camp. And I'm sure that that, you know, that had a big part in the opportunity I got at Toledo with Coach Candle because he had an opportunity to, to watch me work and, and deal with kids and, and coach a position for him on a, you know, five, six, eight times a summer. I think, you know, there was a trust factor that was built because he knew I would come and do the work. And so when, when uh, Coach Campbell had the opportunity to go to Iowa State, and Coach Campbell was in the running for the head coaching job. He texted me and said, Hey, I, I think I got a shot at this job. Are you coming with me? And I said, yeah, I will, because I, I want to work for people that I know that I trust that are good, good men. And Jay certainly checked every box off and certainly coaching at Toledo was an unbelievable opportunity. And, you know, fortunate every day to work in a place with such great administration, great people, great facilities, great kids. And it, 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 I, I don't know if it gets much better than having the opportunities we have here in the glass city. So, yeah, but that's, that all came from working camps and being around and, you know, just trying to work as hard as possible every opportunity you get, because you never know when, when you know, opportunities are going to call, call your name. And it's, it was never about trying to find another job. We just do a great job where you're at, and those opportunities will come. And I think the, the advent of my career has certainly been, been that. My, my path to Division One football is certainly not the norm. A lot of guys go from playing to GA to getting a position job, and there's certainly nothing wrong with that. My road's been a little bit different, but I wouldn't trade any of the experiences I've had for any other opportunity out there. So I think I've really been fortunate, and it's, it's been a really special ride for me. Coach, last question I'd like to ask all the guests here if you know you've, you've mentioned a ton of great things today to do as a coach and you know whether it's on or off the field what's the one thing you do that as a coach you really feel gives your players the winning edge well that's a great question I think 
probably the thing that, that we're trying to do is just get them, get them instilled with the self-confidence that they have seen the toughest things that they're ever going to see and game days are going to get easy. Um, and that's, you know, pace of practice, the, uh, the stress level we try to put on them in practice when it comes to, to uh, pressure, movement, blitz pickup, you know, we try to rehearse things so many times that in a game it seems easy and it seems like it's slowed down. Now, a big part of that is going to be the experience level of the guys that are on the, on the field. If you're playing a bunch of young guys, their, their comfort level may not quite be there. But the best way you do that is just be a positive, a positive role model, a guy that's going to be in their corner. Uh, I would say that my coaching philosophy is, is to encourage, to teach, and to have expectations. And, and for me, the expectation is if you are a high-effort, high-energy guy and willing to learn, you're going to have a great career. And if you're not those things, you're going to have to make a change because those are the things that are going to prevent you from getting on the field. Mike, uh, for our listeners out there, what areas do you recruit? I recruit, my primary areas are Cleveland, Akron, Canton area, but as the online coach, I'll go anywhere to go find linemen. My secondary area is kind of the Iowa, Wisconsin, Minnesota area, which I get out to. We were uh, fortunate. We got an Iowa and a Wisconsin kid on the offensive line, but I've been, I've been all over the country when it comes to trying to find these, these top offensive linemen. And certainly our reach is primary, the four-hour area around Toledo. But we'll go anywhere to go find the guys that are going to make a difference in our program, that are going to be impact players. So if they've got a great one, send them to me, and we'll, we'll get them evaluated, and we'll get out to see them. Coach, give us your Twitter handle so these guys could follow you. It's at Coach Hallett, C-O-A-C-H-H-A-L-L-E-T-T. Mike, uh, appreciate you. I've been running you down for a couple years now trying to get you to come on the podcast. And it was great to have you out in Louisville to our national conference and uh, absolutely great to talk ball with you here. Always great. Anytime you, uh, you want something from me, just let me know. Coaches out there, if there's anything I can do to help you, feel free to reach out on Twitter or any other, any other social media venue you may use. I've, I've got all of them. I don't know how good I am at all of it. But I can, I can respond, certainly. So happy to help everybody grow in this profession. Coaches, again, want to remind you of what we're doing with the football development model. Please push this down to your youth coaches. I think this is a great way for you to get some organization and structure beyond what you've already done. Uh, check it out, all of our, our program development for youth football at fdm.usafootball.com. Again, check out our systems for blocking, tackling, and defeating blocks at footballdevelopment.com. If you register with your email, you get your choice of three free videos. There's some great things in there. I think things that as you get going again, you can get into the summer and maybe make up on some things that you might have lost if you had a spring ball, if you had time here in the spring to work on football. Some great drills for all those phases of contact. If you're enjoying the podcast, please have it over to iTunes or your platform and give us a five-star rate. If you have a minute, write a review. We really appreciate it, and we will read your review on our highlight show that we do at the end of the week.